This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 40 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Bill Carson from Inspire Learning Australia. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Brendan. Now, I was fascinated about your story. You saying that you're into first aid, but not just any old first aid. It's mental first aid. What does that actually mean? Well, mental health first aid uh, specifically is um, around helping people who, um, for, for example, particularly targeting into either the work and work environment or in life. Um, where someone might be struggling in some way with mental health challenges that impact us all at you know various times of our lives and particularly in this COVID period. And so it's similar to physical first aid where uh, a physical first aider, for example, would um, uh, for, uh, for either, you know, be able to just provide some sort of basic assistance or they, they might sort of put a you know bandage on or so that's what I call level one. Level two would be first aider would physical first aider get them off to the doctors or or level three triple zero. And the same with mental health first aid. It's about sort of being able to connect in comfortably. A lot of people feel quite unsure of what the boundaries are, uh, how to connect in, and then um, if if um, and and not to play doctor or therapist, but to um, just be available to support somebody, listen to somebody, uh, inquiring with sort of gentle, appropriate uh, questions. And the person might want to open up or maybe not. Um, but then being able to listen and um, potentially guide uh, the person either in a work context or um, um, out of work around what resources and support resources might be available to to help that person. And also in mental health first aid, uh, you actually learn uh, crisis situations associated with mental health conditions that um, can help the mental health first aider to support the person if they're in difficult situations. So it's almost like having the skills to uh, see what some of the triggers are and then if that happens, then go, oh, this potential situation may be unfolding. I need to get this person off to, I don't know, a doctor or wherever the referral may be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I've been um, doing this work now for about the last three and a half years and have worked with a lot of uh, corporates and, um, and, and, and specifically by working with a lot of corporate organisations, been working with managers. And it's become incredibly clear for me that my own um, point of view and experience is that every manager on the planet uh, should do mental health first aid or a variation of it. And, you know, I've got a, a three-hour version. The normal mental health first aid is a 12-hour version. Um, and, and the reason for that is because... Uh, in my own experience, you know, I worked for 15 plus years in in corporate roles, in technical and leadership roles, and I never had a boss who ever said to me, "How's Bill going?" Mm. And um, 
And what we miss by that, and, you know, I, I had the experience where I had times where um, my first wife was very ill on one occasion and um, um, I was a plant manager, a manufacturing manager, and we were doing a major commissioning, um, but she got very sick. She had to go into hospital. I had a really good team around me. Um, um, all my other managers were looking after this um, really important um, new equipment implementation. Um, but the GM sort of took the view that because I wasn't there that, well, we don't need you and sacked me. Wow. Uh, yeah, which was incredibly painful and heartless on his part. But it was a classic example where, you know, in that there was a quite an extreme case of underperformance on my part because I was really focused on attending to my wife's need. Um, I don't, I don't think that sort of thing could happen in the workplace these days, could it? No, no, no. It just would be, you know, totally, you know, un unacceptable. Um, um, you never know, Bill. He might have done you a favour, though, to, to put you on this uh, trajectory in the work um, you're doing now. Yeah, that, well, that's, that's a good point, <laughs> Brendan. It's, it's kind of uh, contributed sort of somewhat vicariously uh, down the track. But the point I was going to make also is that so a lot of, uh, you know, when we have difficulties in the workplace, um, it'll show up in impacting our work performance. And and because often a lot of managers don't know how to actually connect in and have the conversation because they don't know what the boundaries are. They don't want to say the wrong thing. Some people don't have high levels of emotional intelligence, so they don't really want to go there anyway. Um but by leaders learning uh, a program that I have called Mental Health Conversation Skills, they can actually learn how to connect in, how to have that conversations that I was touching on before, and being able to support their team members. And we know the data is that people join companies but leave managers. And, you know, if managers can learn to be um, more caring, uh, and have the skill to be able to balance out task versus people, then it gives them a really good opportunity to support and care for their team. Yeah, I mean, if you take a view like that, it's really a, having these kind of skills, it's really a win-win. The employee feels supported, um, the manager has more, gets more support, and then the company's not losing money by constant turnover of staff when things don't go right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, yeah. what I'm curious, what do you think's changed? Because, like, you know, like if this was 20 years ago, it was really taboo. But these days, you know, mental health is much more in the forefront of people's minds. You've got uh, Safe Work talking about it, uh, Safe Work Australia. Um, what's changed? Why is it suddenly okay to be having these conversations? I think my observation is that more and more of the kind of world of work is recognising that the whole human being actually comes to work. And what I mean by that is that if you go back quite a few years, maybe 50, 60 plus years ago, even earlier, fundamentally um, businesses, you know, particularly from my background in manufacturing, fundamentally had this view, leave your brains at the gate, mate. We're not interested, just show up. You're, you're a body, you're hands, you're going to do a job and we don't really care too much about anything else. 
And then in the 80s, Peter Senge's work started to open up the whole idea of the learning organization. And it's like, oh, wow, these human beings that we have working for us, they, 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 they can contribute. They've got knowledge. And then into the 90s, um, uh, Daniel Goldman's work introduced the whole idea of emotional intelligence. And it's like, oh, wow, these people have got emotions. They've got a heart. They've got something uh, and and there's just an enormous amount of research that highlights just how critically important to um, uh, that leaders have good levels of emotional intelligence. And then as we've sort of gone now into um, the the noughties and into you know this millennia and this decade in this century, the recognition that purpose and meaning. So we don't use the word spirituality, uh, spiritual in the work context, but Meaning and purpose and values and all those kind of high-end uh, aspects are, again, highly correlated. And so as we're now respecting the, 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 human, the humanness, the humanity that's, that we've got in terms of people, um, it's not people just don't do tasks. They're, 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 they're bringing their whole selves. And we also see significance, relevance around the whole theme of psychological safety which is a way of describing the trust that people in, in a team have, that I can show up and be myself, that I'm cared for, my ideas are listened to, uh, my boss respects me. Um, and so all of those themes are really, really important. But yet in society, with the enormous kind of shifts and changes and the complexities that um, – that, that there's a real em- a need and emphasis to not only look after ourselves physically, but also look after ourselves mentally, mentally and emotionally as well. Are you finding that there's certain industries that are more, um, I guess, open to this kind of training? Is there any trend um, that you can see? There's a lot of uh, businesses that um, are opening up more and more. Um, it's interesting that um, uh, retail, um, legal, uh, there's there's uh, one law firm that we work with, Clayton Utes, for example, have um, an enormous commitment around mental health. And you probably sort of say, well, uh, you know, oh, yeah, legal firms, they need it because they're incredibly stressful environments. Yes, and so many other. Um, <laughs> I think every industry is well. stressful in some way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and Clayton Hughes, for example, have an incredibly high usage rate of their EAP, uh, up around the 17% level, which is indicative of the fact that there's a lot of openness and um, and, and trust around having the conversation. Whereas in some environments, for example, in retail, um, the uh, EAP usage rate is really low. And one of the reasons is in the past it's been – well, you can only go to the EAP, the Employed Assistance Provider, um, uh, from 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 a from permission from me as the manager, um, and, and you can only have two sessions. So I've got to kind of put my hand up and say, "Hey, look, I'm really struggling, and can I have two sessions with the EAP?" And you use up the two sessions, and it's like, "What? You want more?" And um, and then I so, think that the th- I think the point is, if you're in that frame of mind where you are struggling, it would be a massive effort even just to put your hand up. Absolutely, and yeah, and I mean, one of the things that you know myself and I know a lot of people in who are mental health advocates 
is that we're really committed to wanting to destigmatize um, mental uh, health. And, um, you know, the, the, the World Health Organization definition of mental health is that it's very positive, meaning that it's around positive relationships, um, it's managing stresses in, 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 in life, making contribution to community, all those really positive aspects. But our culture has started to develop this um, uh, funny attitude towards mental health. So, for example, if I said said to you and what I've seen of you, Brendan, is if, if I kind of said, oh, you know, Brendan's got physical health, what I'd be implying is that there's a positive adjective that you look after your physically health and you're uh, pretty good. But then if I was uh, uh, talking to somebody and said, oh, Brendan's got mental health, then there's an implication there <laughs> yeah. that there's a... It's, <laughs> it's immediately a, negative, isn't it? That's it's right. It's a negative connotation. Yeah. And uh, and so it's really important that we kind of just be careful of our languaging. So if, if, if you, for example, were having physical health challenges, namely, well, respiratory or lower back or whatever the case, then we'd use that word challenges or issues to reference that. And the same thing with mental health. So you might be referring to someone who's had a relationship breakup or really struggling with uh, their partners, lost their job during COVID and things like that. So they're going to understandably have some mental health challenges because these things impact us um, from an anxiety perspective, which is a future orientation, worrying about the future, or uh, depression, major depressive disorders are sort of highly correlated with loss experiences. Uh, so, you know, losing money, losing job, losing relationships, connections at the workplace, uh, and, and they're, they're painful and, and, and we need to be transparent and open and caring uh, about those sorts of things. Do, do you have a, any tips on just a very, um, I don't know, just a basic level what people can be doing to get to improve their mental health? Yeah. Like is there some simple things that, you know, I don't know, that you could do every day just to just to give you that positive outlook? Because you, you're quite right. Like the, it's almost like if you've got a physical um, health issues, that's kind of accepted. But still, I think you're right. There's a stigma. There seems to be this stigma attached to if you say you've got mental health issues, that's people just assume the worst. But it could be just mm. be feeling depressed or down or not being able to get out of bed. It doesn't necessarily mean you're crazy. It's just that you have some... Mm emotional things happening so yeah i'm just curious mm. is there any any advice well doesn't necessarily have to be advice but maybe just some simple things people can do to to um get into that positive frame of mind yeah the, 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 the some of the themes would be essentially recognizing like i i you know we're, we're a four-part system we've got our physical body we've got our heart got the brain mind and uh um um you know, higher aspect in terms of sort of meaning and purpose. So some of the ways to uh, manage on a day-to-day -day basis is I think fundamentally, and I've noticed this in myself, that uh, it, it's noticing my my emotions and my mood uh, and, and and really sort of connecting in with, with feelings. I mean, often we don't do that. And, and, and so if I'm kind of, and I use this sort of, simple scale, one to 10, you know, 10 is like, I'm knocking it out of the park. It's, you know, I'm fantastic. 
you know, yeah, getting down around three and four, it's like I'm feeling sort of really sort of, um, you know, not too uh, too good. And then, okay, so if, if, if I'm feeling good, uh, you know, uh, exercise, um, eating well, uh, getting the sleep is, is, is really fundamental sort of physical things. Um, noticing my relationships then because that's going to significantly impact on how my feelings and my thoughts. So being, you know, loving and caring towards my partner, uh, focusing on, 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 the, on the positives because um, there's a lot of research that highlights five positives to a negative uh, is really important in relationships and also in teams. So, so, so um, what do you mean by that? So you need one negative is the same as five positives in the impact that it has? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. And or really focusing on much more uh, positives than negatives. You know, it can be so easy to, uh, you know, be critical. Um, but, you know, my wife and I, we, we regularly say, I love you. Um, we'll do little things for each other. Uh, we'll, we'll, we speak positively. Uh, we do that with our son, Richard, as well. And it's something that we've had to develop. Um, uh, and I also find that gratitude is, is incredibly valuable as well. Brenda and I, I did this exercise to kind of prove this because I've studied a lot of uh, positive psychology and that's one of the exercises in positive psychology. So about three years ago, I thought oh, I'll test this. And so I started to keep a journal and write down the things that I was grateful for. And, and uh, the version is you can't say the same as, so it can't be the same old, same old stuff. Oh, the sun's coming up. I'm grateful for that. Uh, but really, really focus on articulating specific things that, that we're grateful for. And it's just one of the best uh, things to do to help shift our awareness and our focus. And the reason is, is because we've also studied a lot in the neurosciences, the, the human uh, brain, uh, the, the, who, you know, as we are a social species, we're, we're like every other animal on the planet where we've got to stay alive. And so the focus on the negative is, is a survival uh, tool. People often talk, you know, to protect us from the so, you know, saber-toothed tigers. Yeah, that's fine, but we're social beings, and we really need to um, 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 connect ourselves in and survive in terms of sort of approval uh, and relationship with with others. And so we have this negative um, focus, uh, um, which is just built into the system. And there's an enormous amount of research today that absolutely highlights the critical importance of building up all the positive. There's this great um, neuropsychiatrist by the name of Rick Hansen who says that our brains are Velcro for the negative, but Teflon for the positive. <laughs> I like that. It's, yeah. un it's unfortunate, really, isn't it? That's not the other way around. We yeah, have to work to make it the other way around. Exactly. We, yeah. and, and people often kind of think, oh, you know, why do I have to do this? Because it's so important to, uh, uh, to develop our, um, our emotional uh, health and well-being. So, yeah, the, those sorts of things, looking after our, our feelings and emotions. And so if we are being impacted by, you know, COVID environments or work environments and things like that, looking for ways that 
to reach out to others to get help to manage ourselves emotionally and mentally and physically. Mm. So, so with your course, is that mm-hmm. you're saying there's a three-hour version and then there's a, a more a deeper version? How Comprehensive do, version. Yeah, yeah. How, how does that all work? And I guess at the moment, uh, are you doing face-to-face training or, or is it also available via webinar? I'd imagine face-to-face would be better in this environment, um, like a lot of yeah. training, but... It works. It works well in both contexts. Um, I've worked with quite a lot of um, uh, managers and leaders in the in the three hour version, which is two ninety minute Zoom sessions. Yeah, and um, that's smart. I do keep keep yeah, people attentive. Absolutely, I do them very interactively. So there's lots of conversations, lots of breakouts, lots of kind of sharing ideas, and uh, and, and 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 coming away with a specific conversational framework that that managers and leaders can actually have with their team members but, but also team members can actually use the same methodology with each other uh, and then it's it's really like every business has physical safety offices then every business you know there, there's lots of businesses now that do and more and more are having mental health first aid offices as well and uh, that's the the 12 hour course it's it's uh, five hours five seven hours of online learning and then two two and a half hour um, um, essentially zoom or interactive uh, workshops and it's, then they get it sounds a lot like a, a lot like the uh, apply first aid course that people yes. do but but yeah of course it's for for um, mental health exactly yeah and then they're in a great position to be able to be the go-to person uh, on, a, on a work site or in a, in a work environment or even sort of in a working from home remote context um, and, um, and, 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 yeah, really help um, um, in, in the organisation. What, what drives companies to go down this path, do you think? Like I, I, uh, I mm. find it with training often or probably all too often it's more reactionary. Um, mm. So you know something will go wrong, and then they go, "Oh, we better go and get some training for that." Um, mm. Occasionally, you get the proactive companies that are going, "This could be a risk. I think we need to do something now before um, you know something happens." But yeah, what what drives people to jump in and and do this course? Yeah, um, I, I think linking back to one of your other guests, uh, Brendan, Doctor Susan Bain. Yep, uh, with the great work that that her and her company are doing in supporting organisations. Um, obviously, uh, there's the uh, fairly recent or newer legislation around industrial manslaughter, mm. uh, uh, which is which can be a sort of a, um, um, a, um, a move away from. <clears throat> I mean, because, you know, every business is going to be either motivated to move towards or move away from. So you'll put mental health first aiders in, you know, to tick the box and sort of move away from the risk. Um, but there's an enormous amount of research. In fact, the one of the numbers is it's something like 490% return on investment if if you actually uh, are proactive and have mental health first aiders uh, or leaders trained in mental health conversation skills in terms of their ability to connect in with their uh, um, team members uh, and support them uh, 
from an early intervention perspective rather than things getting sort of really out of whack for, for that individual and also for the team and for customers. Yeah, oh, look, I can see it absolutely clearly. Like, you know, if you're not in, if your staff aren't in the right frame of mind, the mistakes that can be made, the safety risks, it all costs mm. time and money and, and also just morale, really, isn't it? If someone's not in a good frame of mind, um, yes. that's highly infectious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I used to think in the past that all grumpy people were just born that way. Um, <laughs> But now now I've kind of realized that what often happens is that that grumpiness is actually coming as a stress response. Yeah. So fundamentally, with stress responses, we do three things. We we, uh, fight, flight, or freeze. And the uh, way we do fight is we blame. Um, So all the people that are blamers and attackers are fundamentally coming from a stress response. And then there's a whole bunch of people that internalize it and it's like, oh, I hate this place, you know, you know, I'm not good enough. Uh, and, and then the freeze response is they just go numb and it's like, okay, you know, I just put up with this stuff, et cetera. And, and so all these things are actually impacting on people's capacity to be their best at work, uh, to be, you know, caring for each other and being creative and innovative, uh, et cetera. Well, look, this has been uh, fascinating to hear about the work that you're doing, Bill. It sounds like uh, really valuable and fantastic work for the community and for businesses. If people want Mm. to find out a little bit more about your programs, uh, Mm. how can they connect with you? Yeah, via the website, uh, inspirelearning.com.au is is the best way. Mm. That's brilliant. Okay, thanks very much for coming on the show. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Really appreciate it. All the best. You've been listening to an ohs.com.au production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.